From the Nevada Independent, this is On the Trail. I'm Jacob Solis. This week, Nevada finally held its presidential primaries on Tuesday, and surprise, surprise, there was only one surprise, as none of these candidates trounced Nikki Haley in the Republican primary and Joe Biden won in a landslide. So what do we learn from Nevada's first votes of 2024? And what are we supposed to take away from all this when the general election is still nine months away? Our reporters Tabitha Mueller and Sean Galanka join me to break it all down. Tabitha, Sean, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Good to be here, Jacob. All right. So the best place for us to start is probably at the end. So we're going to go with results. Republicans up first, starting with a primary that doesn't award any delegates and theoretically doesn't matter, but kind of matters. As of recording, none of these candidates has won, quote unquote, uh, with about 63 percent of the vote. Nikki Haley, the South, former South Carolina governor and former U.N. ambassador, has barely half of that, about 30.5 percent. Okay, Tabitha, you and some of our colleagues were out at polling sites yesterday, and I want you to help contextualize what none of these candidates actually means. Because talking to voters, they weren't actually voting for nobody, right? No, a lot of the voters who cast ballots for none of these candidates indicated that they were voting for former President Donald Trump. I also think that there was an element to this of a protest vote, right? Kind of saying, I don't like these concurrent election processes. I wanted to see more candidates on the ballot. We, One of the voters that I interviewed, he actually said that he was frustrated by the fact that he didn't like any of the candidates that were on the ballot. He said they weren't kind of worth his attention. They they just weren't acceptable to him. OK, yeah. And, and I mean, just to contextualize this, Sean, you've done a lot of reporting on exactly, you know, why Nevada is none of these candidates option exists and how people have used it in the past. It is unique to Nevada. uh, But this none of these candidates, quote unquote, win is not super similar to other times it's happened, right? Right. This is a a really weird situation, Jacob. I mean, it's only the sixth time in Nevada history that none of these candidates has received the most votes in an election. I mean, the the option dates back to uh, the mid 1970s and the other times it's come in first place has been couple congressional primaries. Uh, most recently in the 2014 Democratic primary for governor, um, it received the most votes. And then the winner was actually the second place vote getter uh, because none of these candidates is not, you know, it's not a candidate that can win an election. Um, but I think what's significant about this is, you know, kind of the margin that, that it received. You know, I don't think we've ever seen none of these candidates get above 50%, certainly well above 50% uh, with, with the margin in, in this primary. Um, and this is the first time that we've seen it, you know, play out this way in a presidential primary because when Nevada had party-run caucuses for so long, uh, the parties were not beholden to the state law to put none of these candidates on their caucus ballot. And so this is the first time we've really seen it, you know, have an effect in this kind of primary process Um, You know, in terms of the presidential race, I think the most it's ever received was about two and a half percent in 2016 when Trump and Hillary Clinton were on the ballot. So, um, you know, certainly none of these candidates and and Trump kind of end up in in the same orbit uh, at times. But, um, you know, really unique just to see it getting kind of this high of a percentage in, in an election. Okay. Yeah, and it, I agree. I mean, even back in 2014, the reason that Democrat, none of the above, de- Democrats voted for none of the above, rather, is because they didn't actually run a candidate against Governor Brian Sandoval that year. And it was just sort of a, everyone throwing up their hands. Um, this time, I, 
let's analyze a little bit, I think, how Nikki Haley even got to this point, right? Because, all right, everyone listening to this podcast probably already knows, but for the uninitiated, the primary was not awarding delegates because the party is holding its own caucus that's happening tomorrow that will award delegates and is functionally only going to go to Donald Trump because he's the only major candidate left on that ballot. Okay, context out of the way. This primary was theoretically Nikki Haley's to lose. She was running against nobody. Mike Pence and Tim Scott dropped out literally months ago. So if she really wanted to, she had a lane all to herself that she could have done anything with. Instead, if we were to make a word cloud of national stories about this race, I think the word embarrass or embarrassing would be the biggest word by far. So, Tabitha, I mean... How do we get here? How did Nikki Haley fumble this to this degree? I think embarrassing and maybe even irrelevant might be the second biggest word in that word cloud. And some of this, I think we have to look at what Governor Joe Lombardo did, right? So he talked to us and said that he would be voting in both the primary and the caucus as a way of maintaining his voting, voting record. And he would be voting none of the above or none of these candidates. I think that in some ways that gave permission to a lot of moderate Republican voters to say, look, if you don't, if you're frustrated, go ahead and vote this way. And and even Governor Lombardo said the race is already over, like it's in the bag for Trump. Right. Um, and so I think that that is part of what created this. I also think we didn't see Nikki Haley at all coming in and trying to get her name out. Right. There were I mean, I don't think there were any advertisements from her campaign in in this state in particular. Um, we didn't really see her campaigning. And she said that the race was sort of rigged and she wasn't going to give the state any time or attention. And so along with sort of that protest vote about this process is confusing and horrible, um, I think voters were also sending a message to Nikki Haley, please don't ignore us, especially in a state that is used to having candidates come and court us, right? Every election cycle, you see all of the big names come through here. And and I think Nikki Haley, that's the reason that Nikki Haley lost to none of these candidates. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of hammer home that point that, you know, the kind of twofold story here for, for how we got here. Um, you know, even beyond Joe Lombardo, there were Republican county chairs who were telling their local voters vote for none of the above. Um, I think it kind of, you know, and we can get into this more when we talk about uh, the caucus in a couple days. But I think it really goes to show, you know, Trump's strength with Nevada Republicans because there were so many Republican voters in Nevada who were willing to participate in the primary just to, you know, lodge a vote basically against Nikki Haley. And so, um, you know, I think it's a combination of that and, you know, Nikki Haley in her own words and her campaign manager's words putting no resources or money towards Nevada at all. Yeah, I mean, the Haley campaign put out a statement yesterday that was something along the lines of even people playing the penny slots know that um, the House always wins or something. Look, we must retire the gambling metaphors. I will explode if we continue the gambling metaphors until November. Kim, if we retire the gambling metaphors, can we also retire like calling Las Vegas like the neon city of lights or something? Like there's got to be more creative phrases for it. Yeah, literally anything else. We must begin using sphere puns only. Anyways, um, look, even Trump, right, like 10 days ago was telling people at his rally in Las Vegas to not even vote in the primary. And frankly, I think a lot of Republicans aren't plugged in enough to every little thing he says that they still showed up to vote and vote for him, quote unquote, as none of the above 
in the primary. And I guess let's use this to lead into where the Democrats are, because none of the above didn't even come close to Biden's margin in the Democratic primary, where he had almost 90 percent of the vote. Not quite a South Carolina margin, but pretty close. So uh, let's start with you, Sean. I mean, how does that rank based on where we sort of expected Biden to be coming into Tuesday? You know, I think it makes sense, Jacob. I'll just, you know, also quickly note the difference in turnout between these elections was, you know, somewhat su- substantial. So I think the the efforts to downplay the Republican primary, you know, worked in part in that there were a lot more Democrats who turned out to vote in the primary and support Joe Biden. I mean, we saw him, uh, you know, visit just a couple days before the primary to kind of drive turnout and, and shore up his base. Um, and so, you know, I think this speaks to even if some Democratic voters are unhappy with Joe Biden, um, you know, they're still accepting him as the nominee ultimately because there hasn't really been a viable alternative to, you know, emerge at, at this point in the race. And so, um, you know, I think this kind of high margin, 89, 90 percent for Biden makes sense. But, you know, we still get a, kind of a glimpse at this this small section of Democratic voters who Um, You know, even though they're engaged enough to participate in the primary, they're not happy with having Joe Biden as the nominee. Right. And Tabitha, you talked to some Democrats at the polls yesterday. What did they have to say about voting for Biden? It was interesting because a lot of the people that I spoke to at the polls, and this is not a representative sample, right? Like I was just kind of going to different voting sites and just chatting with whomever was around. But basically, they said that they were frustrated with the way the polls said that people didn't support Biden, right? Um, one of the voters that I was talking to, and this is just a fantastic quote, so I'm going to read it. But he said, I don't agree with everything Biden says, but I agree with about 75% of what he says. That's better than my wife. I think we agree about 65% of the time. So I wouldn't say that I would want to marry Biden, but I'm happy with my wife and I'm happy with the structure and the institutions that we have. And a lot of voters, I think, at least from the Democratic side, I think are very concerned about what a Trump presidency would mean for them. Um, And I know that they're talking about, like we we discussed QAnon conspiracy theories and sort of distrust of the election system. And, and, And a lot of these Democratic voters were saying, look, Biden, like we're happy with Biden and we are going to vote for him and come kind of come out. Now, it is worth noting, though, that we had a pretty low turnout election this year, right? Um, At least up in Washoe County, for sure. And I think some of that's because people weren't engaged in this process as much as they might have been in the past if we had, say, other candidates available to them. Yeah. And I do want to get to the turnout in a second. And I think it's important to note here that maybe a lot of the Democrats or Democratic leaners who are most unhappy with Biden are the people who aren't registered Democrats and can't participate in Nevada's closed primary. They're nonpartisan voters, right? Or they just moved here or they're younger voters who are unlikely to vote in a primary anyways. It's I think that there is potentially some skew here with the kind of person who shows up to vote in a primary like this in the first place um, that probably helped Biden to that almost 90 percent margin. But on the turnout question, Tabitha, I'm glad you mentioned that because, Sean, you've been tracking the turnout very closely. And now Nevada's had caucuses for like two decades, three decades, a long time. And uh, this is the first primary we've had in a while. And generally speaking, primaries have higher turnout than caucuses. Did this one, the the sort of meaningless primary of meaningless primaries, approach uh, Nevada's record caucus turnouts? You know, it's a, it's a complicated picture, Jacob. But 
you know, it did. I think we're still waiting for kind of the last rounds of mail ballots to to come in to know what those those final numbers are going to look like. But the the record for Democratic caucus turnout was about one hundred eighteen thousand set in two thousand eight. Um, right now, turnout in the Democratic primary it looks like is uh, north of one hundred ten thousand. It could end up kind of right around that same amount. We'll see if it ends up beating the record or at least coming very close to it. Um, and on the Republican side. I think it's somewhere around 70,000 now. So, you know, as, as more mail ballots come in and as we kind of get the final reports of Election Day turnout, we'll see um, if it beats the, the 2016 Republican caucus record of 75,000. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're right around that, that watermark. I think the reason it gets complicated is that, um, you know, there are all these policies in place with the primaries this year that are meant to increase turnout. You know, there's universal mail balloting. Um, there were hundreds of thousands of Democratic and Republican voters who received mail ballots. I think in total, there were more than 1.1 million mail ballots that were sent out to voters in Nevada. Um, and yet we're still seeing turnout that, you know, relative to a typical June primary or November general election is is pretty small. But, you know, relative to caucus, uh, you know, past caucuses, this is high turnout. So uh, I, I think it's kind of a complicated picture and it's it's further, you know, muddied by the fact that these were not very competitive races. And so um, I think there's you know, a couple different angles you can take uh, to, to look at that turnout and, you know, judge it if it's if it's high or low, just, you know, kind of depending on the tack you want to take. Yeah, maybe we'll call it a, a, a good caucus turnout, but a bad primary turnout. Um, so here's here's a question I want to ask. And Tabitha, we'll start with you. I mean, are people just tuned out of this election? Because even just pre-Nevada, right? Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, all of these races have sort of felt preordained in a way that was sort of very unsurprising. And each race becomes more unsurprising than the last. Are, are people even engaged at this point with the race like they have in past years? I think that they're not as engaged as they would be normally, right? I think people have kind of said we're, we're expecting that pre, uh, the President Biden wins the Democratic nomination and former President Trump wins the Republican nomination. I think that, I think that as we get closer to that the 2024 actual full election, the general, we're going to actually see more folks engaging and and getting out there. Um, but I would say that early on in the process, people were pretty engaged, right? I mean, now maybe they aren't as much, but when DeSantis was in there, when you had um, Nikki Haley, when you had a whole slate of candidates, we saw a lot of people coming out and talking. Like we went to the Basque Fry and at the Basque Fry, I mean, there were people who were arguing. There were, you know, Trump hats. There were DeSantis hats. I think that as the election has gone on, maybe the interest in it has gone down from the public. Um, but even we've seen at the media market level, right, fewer advertisements have been taken out. There's not as much spending that's happening, at, at least here in Nevada. Um, and I think that's an indication that the people aren't as tuned in as maybe they would have been. And, and I mean, to that, Sean, I mean, I feel like we've written some version of oh, the general election. Here we come, you know, like 50 times over the last two weeks. Um, but we keep saying that. And like, what do we mean? Because what are what are the next eight or nine months even going to look like if that's the case, if, if it's general election for the rest of the year? Well, I think I think a lot of that is is mucked up by the fact that Donald Trump has you know trials throughout the the spring. I mean, you know, obviously there are going to be primary elections going on. We have uh, Super Tuesday in, in what about a month or so, and and you know there's South Carolina's primary later this month. So there's still going to be, I think, you know, some sense of the primary season. But in terms of the campaign messaging, 
I imagine a lot of it is going to be Trump and Biden, uh, you know, sort of at each other's throats. You know, already we just saw um, Joe Biden kind of taking a swing at Trump over, you know, what's happening in Congress with this this immigration uh, border deal. And so, um, you know, this fight is is spilling over into federal policymaking. Um, and, you know, it's not so so limited to the campaign trail. It's kind of a, I think, a weird election year in that sense in that, um, you know, it's already a general election playing out in February. I mean, we're seeing these things uh, playing out in Congress and, and at other levels. And so, um, you know, who knows what turns this might take uh, if, you know, anything drastic happens. Obviously, uh, at this time in 2020, we, we were unaware that the the pandemic would, you know, kind of have the effect that it did. So you, you never know what might happen in election year and throw things off. But um, for now, it seems like we're just kind of headed for this rematch. Woof. OK, well, <laughs> thank you, Sean. And I guess we're going to have to leave it there for now. Hey, we will be back on Friday to talk more about the caucus. But right now it's time for the lightning round. Here on the On the Trail podcast, this is the part of the show where I see what our reporters can't stop thinking about as long as that thing is still related to campaigns and elections. So starting with you, Tabitha, what is in your lightning round? All right. So I got to say that I think I did not have it on my primary bingo card that Mayor Carolyn Goodman would be leading the day with uh, some choice words that she said about how she didn't think it was a good idea maybe for the Oakland A's to relocate uh, to Clark County. Um, and so I've just been thinking about that. And, and you know, I think that our, our boss, John Ralston, had a tweet where he says, you know, can't get crazier than the than the election and the caucus primary. Well, wait, Mayor Carolyn Goodman, hold my beer, right? <laughs> yeah, it, honestly, it feels like ins- I'm living in insane, crazy land in Las Vegas this week because it's the Super Bowl. Uh, the rain has been weird. Uh, Carolyn Goodman is is sound enough. Love to see it. Uh, the caucus, it's, or the elections are happening. I just, I, I don't know what to do with my hands anymore, I guess. And and I think that's like the part that I just can't like fathom is just our, you know, normally election days are always really busy and hectic, but this one seemed to just start off with a bang and kept going. And it wasn't even about elections necessarily. Yeah, to say nothing of what was happening in Congress yesterday. Ooh, all right. Well, Sean, what is in your lightning round? Well, this this seems to be a recurring item for me, Jacob. Um, if the on the trail faithful are, are probably well familiar <laughs> with this, but um, just just to catch other folks up who maybe are are not uh, following the city of Henderson kids vote. Um, basically, the city of Henderson during the primaries was allowing children, you know, under eighteen years of age, to cast votes in a primary. Uh, involving ice cream flavors. And so eight choices on the ballot. There were cookies and cream, vanilla, chocolate, bubblegum, mint chocolate chip, cookie dough, chocolate chip, and Rocky Road. And we have the results, Jacob. They're finally here. Um, there are four flavors advancing. The The highest vote getter out of 117 votes cast, pretty low, low turnout election. I'm disappointed. Extremely low turnout, but Henderson. go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was cookies and cream with 21. Barely edging out vanilla with 20, but tied in fourth place with 16 was bubblegum and mint chocolate chip. And it seems that Henderson election officials decided that tie with a coin flip that bubblegum won. Oh. Um, I'm incensed. A coin flip. Nevada law says to decide ties by lot, by drawing lots. So that was not followed. But also the fact that bubblegum is advancing 
uh, to the to the next round, I think is is completely ridiculous. Um, I think cookies that's and cream a is going to take it all the way, though. That's that's where we're at. Bubble Wait, cookie, you think cookies and cream? Oh, I was just going to say that bubblegum advancing is a travesty. Mint ice cream is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, bubblegum is really the insane choice. Um, I mean, like, whereas Rocky Road was in there, right? I mean, like... Rocky Road finished that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, it's not like butter pecan or something. But I mean, like, what are these... Why is bubblegum even here? Who decided this? Who created this ballot? I have so many questions. I, mean, I, I want them to let kids nom or children nominate their own ice cream flavors for this versus some adults picking the random ones. Like there, there should have been like a nominating process here. <laughs> there should have been a ranked choice ballot um, for the ice creams. Uh, we won't get into that. <laughs> All right. Well, I get to close because I am the host. And in my lightning round this week is a story that ran over the weekend in the bulwark from uh, Mark Caputo, formerly of The Messenger, now of the bulwark. And I'll just, I'll read the headline, quote, I'll permanently f*** up your biorhythms, colon, the inside story of the DeSantis Super PAC's failure. This, for the uninitiated, is about never back down, the sort of um, doomed Super PAC that was hoping to run DeSantis's presidential campaign that sort of famously flamed out at the beginning of this year. And I bring it up, there is a Nevada connection because um, integral to Never Back Down at certain points last year was former Attorney General Adam Laxalt. He ran for governor in 2018. He ran for Senate in 2022 and lost both those races. But he has been friends, personal friends with Ron DeSantis for a long time. And uh, apparently at some point last year, he flew down to Atlanta where Never Back Down was based and said he was taking command. And everyone apparently, allegedly, behind his back started calling him um, Al Haig, the, I believe, Secretary of State, right, for uh, Ronald Reagan, back when Reagan was shot, who said he was in control of the White House when he was not in control of the White House. So anyways, highly recommend reading that story. Just, just incredible stuff front to back. Uh, again, the biorhythm stuff. And, and apparently Laxalt boasted about being double Georgetown, um, a reference to his, yeah, his two yeah. degrees from there. There's just some great stuff. Go go give it a read. There's some real nuggets. Highly recommend reading the whole thing. It it uh, I mean, what a treat. What a treat that we got this. So uh, I guess that is going to do it for this week's episode of On the Trail, except it's not just this week's only episode. Reminder that Friday we are going to have a live stream on the Nevada Independent YouTube channel. We're going to have us, the election team, plus John Ralston, our fearless leader. We're going to be taking your questions all about the primary and the caucus and what happens next. Remember, that is live. And if you miss it, it'll be on this feed Friday afternoon. Our show is produced and edited by Joey Lovato and with additional help from Michelle Rendells and Kristen Leonard. From the Nevada Independent, I'm Jacob Solis. We'll see you later this week.